Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at Miro, which is a freemium SaaS solution that helps distributed teams visually collaborate using an online whiteboard. So Miro was founded in Russia in 2011, and then in late 2018, one of the top Silicon Valley VCs, Excel Partners, led a $25 million funding round. So clearly, they're doing something right. I'm really interested to dig in and see what it is that they are doing to drive all of this growth. So I'm going to be interviewing Yulia Malish, who's their head of growth and self-service. She has a really strong data background and should be able to give us pretty meaningful insights into what is key to their growth success. So let's get started. Hey, Yulia, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's um, it's exciting to finally uh, to finally do this with you. We've been we've been meeting at conferences now for several years, so it's it's cool to be able to sit down and uh, I've watched your evolution of of Miro from a distance. So it's it's going to be really neat to kind of dig into some of the details. So um, before we dig into how you're approaching growth, can you explain a bit about what Miro is and what problem it solves? Sure. So Miro is the online collaborative whiteboarding platform that enables distributed teams to work efficiently and effectively together on a variety of use cases like ideation and brainstorming, collaborative workshops, design and research, agile workflows, mapping and diagramming, strategy and planning. So as you can imagine, it's a very horizontal product, but our core and power users are cross-functional teams that consist of product managers, designers, engineers, marketing managers. And we have a freemium model, so you can sign up and see and use Miro absolutely for free. Invite as many team members as you want and have up to three active boards at the same time. And when you need more boards, privacy settings, additional functionality like frameworks or specific integration, you can upgrade into one of our four paid plans. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, distributed teams, uh, it seems like that's that's kind of more of a trend these days. Do you think that's that's part of the uh, the, the appeal of the solution is that as more and more companies move to distributed teams, they need something like this? Yes, definitely. The market is growing and we uh, we see we see it and we feel it. That's great. So, um, as I mentioned, I've, I've uh, talked to you for for years about what's been going on, but um, you've you've been at Miro for six years, I think I saw, and um, it wasn't until really late 2018 that you raised a big round of financing uh, from Excel. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It yeah. Is. I mean, what, like a great venture capital firm. So clearly, you guys are onto something. They don't just uh, randomly invest in companies that you got to be doing pretty well. So when did you begin to feel like you were onto something big? Was it, did you, did you see something in the data or just that, you know, in the, the pit of your stomach that you knew you were onto something big but before you went and raised that money? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I actually reflected and 
you know, I never felt that the business won't grow because even when we were small and the user base were small, the customer love and feedback that we get always give us a sense that we are doing the right thing and solving their real problems. Uh, but as you've mentioned before, actually, we realized that it's a very big opportunity, I think, Several years back, when we noticed trends like distributed teams and workforce, um, digital and adult transformation. So we understood the scale, total addressable market of the problem we're solving. Are most of your customers, did they use something like this before or were they trying to collaborate non-visually or what, what are they sort of moving from when they switched to Miro? They used real physical whiteboards. Um, and if they're distributed, you use the camera in front of the whiteboard. So you can imagine okay, right. it's not an engaged setup for distributed team members at all. And we designed a better solution. Yeah, that's definitely like one-way broadcast as opposed to people being yeah. able to, to probably work the whiteboard. Uh, very hard to do through a camera, work a remote whiteboard. Yeah, very. <laughs> Um, so, and then, and then looking at your personal background, um, before you became head of growth, you led the data team. Mm -hmm. So do you think that data background has been pretty important to your, to your role as, uh, as the head of growth now? Yeah, so I joined the company as a product analyst um, and I love the data. I think like data always inspired me for the best ideas, hypothesis, and what are the biggest opportunities we have for growth. It also helps me to see a bigger picture and understand how different key metrics are connected. What are the levers and um, data helps to make the right decision. And what I like about data people um, that you don't fall in love with ideas. You actually fall in love with what makes the impact and drive outcomes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to, uh, to, to drive improvement if you don't really understand what's going yeah. on. And so having, having that data background can be yes. really important. So do you, do you know, kind of side note for anyone who's maybe getting started with their career, do you, if they aspire to one bit day be ahead of growth, do you recommend that they get really strong on the data side first? I think it's important and vital to understand uh, the, the data flows and that you can estimate like the impact uh, to, to, to just to move faster, I think. Like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I also think, especially in a startup, that there's so much is, is driven off of kind of like hope and Yay. optimism and, and or, or total pessimism that being able to have data sort of kind of removes some of the emotion around decisions that can be really important yeah. decisions. We have this data-informed culture and from the very beginning, it is very important for us to collect um, like to collect important um, data that we need to uh, understand how our business works. It was very, mm -hmm. very right investment. Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely uh, understand that. So, but I have heard from a lot of B2B companies that, um, you know, that they don't really have the volume that maybe B2C companies have. So there's not as much data to work with. They can't run as high a velocity testing. Um, what, what have you kind of found with those challenges? Any, any best practices that you can recommend? We have uh, what we call B2C to B model. So, and you're absolutely right to be able to have and run this high velocity um, testing. You need to have a lot of data and we have like freemium model that allow us to do this. So we don't have this problem for now. 
Okay, so so for really a high velocity testing model, maybe if companies really want to be able to do that, they might, if they're B two B, might think about introducing a, a a freemium layer that that helps to increase that volume, so they can it can drive improvement off that. Obviously, a big choice, so you don't just do it for the data, but uh, that that can overcome some of those uh, data challenges. Yeah. So and sometimes sometimes you can use just usability testing to to check the ideas um, if you think that you don't mm-hmm. have enough data and it's still very important. Like it's important and you still get very good insights from the customers, from the users, or just from the people outside mm-hmm. of your building. And plus, in my experience, probably the most important data is is around retention cohorts and. Uh, that's that's going to apply even in a in a low volume B two B. If people stop using the product, you can see that pretty quickly. And and uh, so maybe you can't run high velocity A B tests on a on a page as much because you're not getting volume going through. But the the most important data is really are people using it? What are they doing? What what the different cohorts look like over time? Definitely. Um, so given that data background, maybe you're in a better position to answer this question than a lot of companies would be. Um, when you look at Miro's success to date, what do you think have been the, the biggest drivers of that success? Um, so I, I think I will highlight three major factors. First is simple and intuitive product that solves real users' problem. That always was the main driver of our success. The market opportunity and passionate team and collaborative culture that we have inside the company. Mm-hmm. And do you guys do you guys do a, a lot of testing? So with that collaborative culture, I mean, what 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 are you guys collaborating around? Just just uh, more understanding the customer and continue to tweak the um, the solution, or is it is it um, collaborating around how how do we run tests that improve overall results? Or what can you maybe go a little deeper there? But under collaborative culture, I mean that we always look not at the like. We're not working siloed and we don't optimize for local maximum. We always uh, try to find the, like, the global maximum, understand what would be our path um, towards this growth. Uh, we share learnings across organization, make sure we have a shared and understanding context so people can experiment uh, having the same context in mind so we don't uh, do the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the shared learning in particular is something that I mean one one of the things that I found that you know so, so much of growth it, you, you can learn pretty easily as an individual, but when you go and try to apply it in a company, often often you get pushback because people you know think priorities should be somewhere else and they don't yeah, agree yeah. that something should be tested, and so being able to have a shared understanding of what's happening and and backed up by data, yeah. I think it can really help that that cross functional collaboration. That's true. We all come across growth challenges, um, and you've been there for six years. Do any growth challenges come to mind that uh, that you faced, and and if you could give a little context and over how you overcame those challenges? Yeah, sure. A lot of a lot of challenges. Um, I think one of the most interesting, maybe um, we had. A, the challenge that we had is to grow in product virality. Uh, so how we actually can incentivize users to invite more team members into the product. Uh, we had a trial model at that time and the free plan was limited and the low was up to three team members only. So we looked into the data uh, to understand how our users behave 
and figured out that 30 days of trial period was not enough for different teams and use cases to finish one project and realize the full value that the product provides. And when the trial ends, they were not ready to buy yet and they downgraded to the free plan faced the limit and had to delete boards and users to fit into the limits. So it actually means um, that they have fewer reasons to come back into the products after they delete all the mm -hmm. information that they created there. Uh, so we started to experiment with the freemium model, uh, with the free plan, with unlimited number of users. Uh, we started to do this with like 20% of our uh, traffic, we chose countries uh, where we rolled out it first and got positive results, both like on virality and users retention, usage retention without loss and conversion to paid. So, um, and then we rolled out it um, to, to the whole user base. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Do you, do you think that, uh, that virality can happen when you don't have a free part of a solution? Um, I haven't uh, seen good examples on the market on that, honestly. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having the conversation with somebody yesterday and they had they, they made that claim that they've, they've read that virality really can't happen un unless you have a, uh, a free version. I think they read it for, in, in the book Blitzscaling and so... Uh, Interesting to hear your story there because it's kind of uh, it seems to back that up a bit. Right. I have um, another challenge actually that we haven't still uh, that we hadn't still have it. So the the canvas is actually the new format, and we are always in the process of finding the best way to onboard non-visual thinkers into it. So we constantly talk to customers, watch how they are using the product, experiment on this. One of the things that worked was a guide. So this is kind of learning inspired center with different templates, tutorial, education, materials like articles and videos by use cases that we build right inside the product. And it also helps a lot to people to understand actually um, how this product uh, can work or what use cases and help them to overcome this like blank canvas state. So, I mean, it's interesting, as you say that, it's kind of, uh, I, I think one of the things that sounds like you guys do really well is define your target audience well. So defining as those distributed teams, those cross-functional teams, but it, it almost feels like there's a, a further uh, refining down to visual people. And maybe that's like 90% of the people out there. Maybe it's 2%. I'm Yay. not sure where the line is. So that could be... Uh, overly shrinking the market or that could actually be a pretty big piece of the market. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to kind of, you know, I guess until you solve that, then your target market should really be primarily trying to get those visual people. And then, uh, and then if you can onboard non-visual people and make them more visual, then that makes sense. That's true because they <laughs> yeah. get used to structured formats like docs, spreadsheets, slides, and canvas is kind of more of, unstructured way to think and explain your thoughts uh, but like yeah we also try to move to this um, to help like visual thinkers to create a structured way to consume the content for their colleagues and we release like the notes fun functionality uh, so people can create a like a board summary and other people can consume it easily you know i think when we first met it was still called real-time board so one, when did you guys change the name? And then what led to that decision to change the name to Miro? Um, you know, we, we always want to build an aspirational love mark. So we search for a name that is easy to remember and can help us drive 
word of mouth and build the Lalamo brand. And Miro is actually, like, Miro was a Spanish painter, an artist, and his canvases remind us our boards with different shapes, objects, and colors. And we want people to feel like that they are artists while they're working on their regular things. Mm-hmm. I won't ask how much you paid for that domain, but I've got to assume <laughs> it wasn't cheap because short domains are not easy to get. Um, okay. Let's let's kind of dig into a bit about how you guys are organized for growth. Um, I, I know you're not just head of growth, but you're also head of self-service. So kind of looking at those two roles, why don't we start with you and, and just what's the what's the scope of your responsibility? Yeah, so we have like the self-serve our business and the high-touch business. As a head of self-serve business, I'm responsible for self-serve revenue growth that is setting the usage and revenue targets, identifying levers and opportunities, and what is our strategy to achieve this growth. I'm also leading the product growth function, including acquisition, activation, engagement, monetization, and hand raisers teams. So you said the the other group is called the the touch group, like high touch. We call it high high touch. High touch, okay. on Enterprise deals. So more enterprise, yeah. yeah. And so, but I assume it's it's pretty much the same product that they get onboarded onto. So the work that you're doing in the self service for for onboarding probably helps that that other group as well. Yeah, sure. So. Um, the majority of the leads that sales team works with are already using the product, and that is why we build a hand raiser team within the product that is helping to generate leads from the product for the enterprise team. And this is like our oh, shared okay. goal, and this is how we all like also work collaboratively together. And we also have a dedicated enterprise product team that is working on value creation for our enterprise customers. But um, mm-hmm. activation team within the product who is focusing on onboarding flows also onboard like any type of new users. And are, do you have a, um, a customer success team as well or yeah. is it all done through the interface? Uh, yeah, we have our customer success team who is working with enterprise customers and we have like automated uh, flows within the product like for the whole user base. Do you guys have a, maybe, sorry, have you answered this? I missed it. But do you guys have a separate marketing team or is growth and marketing really one one group? Yes, we have different separate teams. We have a product growth team and a marketing team, including like growth marketing, enterprise, brand and product marketing. But we partner together and have shared goals. Okay. And then you're you're on the product growth side or on the marketing growth side? I'm on a product growth side. Product growth. Okay. Yeah. All right. A little slow here, so I got to make sure I understand how it all fits together. Um, and then, what other teams do you find yourself uh, interacting with the most? Oh, it's product, like core product team, um, mm-hmm. and all like marketing teams. I interact with the sales leader, like, and with go to market function. I interact a lot with data team. Actually, like. Uh, almost, um, almost every every function. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, not legal, but yeah. besides that, <laughs> but even like even with legal, we we have some uh, we have some initiatives and projects. I'm sure I was just yeah, joking. Yeah. Okay, but that's yeah. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of team. yeah, um, and then have you found obviously you know in the six years that you've been there, it's probably a very different looking organization today that it, that it was before, have you found that um, it's become more siloed or have you guys been able to maintain 
I mean, it sounds pretty cross-functional as you describe it. Have you, have you found that it's, it's been hard to keep it uh, aligned cross-functionally or is it, is it something that um, it has not really been a huge challenge for you? Yeah, we can, one of our corporate like culture values is play as a team to win the world. And it's very important to work on cross-functional alignment. And I like the quote that over-communication is enough communication. So as a distributed mm-hmm. leadership, we regularly meet once a quarter to reflect, plan, and align on our company vision and strategy. What are the major growth plays and strategic initiatives? It's super valuable to sit in one room for one week and go through all the topics. How often did you say you do that? Once a quarter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then we have a lot of processes, like regular processes, like company one, OKRs, planning and tractions, all hands, regular one-on-ones uh, with like mm-hmm. within the leadership team and within like cross-functional teams, like just to make sure we have shared context and understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're, you guys are super deliberate about yeah, fighting the, uh, the, the battle against becoming overly siloed and, and, um, yeah. and that it's been pretty effective. And so we're building <laughs> a product for like collaboration to increase the right, spirit right. understanding within different companies. So that's yeah, good. so you got to kind of live live the uh, live the promise internally, or you're you're yeah. sort of hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, um, so, do you guys have a north star metric? Yes, <laughs> yes, we have. Um, we talked uh, with you about it on one of the conference, and then we think that. So we have a mission to empower teams to create the next big things by providing best collab- solution for collaboration. And we came mm-hmm. up that the like active collaborative boards is the metric that shows us that the teams are getting value from using the product and it's also aligned with the mission we have. So it's mm-hmm. active collaborative boards. Cool. I guess I gave you good advice. I like that. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I wish I could take credit for the rest of the success you guys have had, but clearly uh, clearly, okay. you guys have been putting all the hard work in. <laughs> advice is cheap and easy. <laughs> um, so, and then do you, so how, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that you do quite a bit of testing, but um, is most of that testing then uh, somehow tied back to moving that North Star metric? Every team has actually a specific uh, metric that they're working on, like uh, activation or conversion or like um, active usage. But we also keep uh, an eye on track in the collaborative boards. And when we release in different functionality and features, we also keep in mind that we need to design the functionality and experience for collaboration, not for individual use cases. Mm-hmm. But so everybody can kind of map their their kind of more focused goals back to that North Star metric and understand the role that they play in moving that North Star metric. I wish everyone can do it, uh, but it would be, I think, <laughs> it would be not like real true if I will say that. Uh, but yeah. In, in a perfect world, that's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, every, but everyone can give you like a pretty strong rational how it actually influence. Maybe not in terms of like, real numbers and percentage, but anyway. Do you guys track the number of tests that you're running in any given period of time? Or are you more focused on kind of quality tests or successful tests or, or just overall volume of tests? What, what, how do you mm-hmm. hold yourself accountable yeah. to keep trying to drive improvement? 
Um, yeah, we do track the number of experiments we run per month. So it's uh, like we run tens of experiments per month, but this is not our KPI. Uh, like we more focus how we can actually move the um, the the key R, like key results, uh, and one our business metric, and and actually sometimes um, sometimes it's like uh, something that you. But they have to like 20 experiments to understand actually how to move this. Sometimes you, it's already pretty obvious, you, you know, like what to do and you have more quality tests, but um, that can give you like the bigger impact. Let's uh, kind of look now at, at the big picture a bit to um, kind of that, that journey that the typical customer takes from discovering Miro to becoming a raving fan of it. Um, maybe we start with the beginning part of um, what, what would be the typical role in an organization that would be the one who would discover Miro and how, how would they normally find out about it? Oh, the journey of the team and the company in Miro starts from one user who searches for a solution for their specific use cases. And then when he or she gets the value, they start to invite the team and expand. So our power users are UX designers and product manager, and they are searching for a solution like, for example, how to run a distributed you know, retrospectives or how to create a user story map, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can see designers in particular, since you said visual yeah. people are the, are the ones who tend to really yeah. get it. And some PMs are super visual yeah, as well. Um, yeah, the last, last PM I worked with was was constantly mocking everything up. So um, <laughs> I can see how it would be useful on both sides. Yeah. Um, and then what, at what point, like what, what do they have to kind of do with the product for it to really start to stick within the organization? Do they just use it themselves and hold some meetings or is there kind of a tipping point to where, okay, there's now enough collaboration happening that they're likely to keep using it? Yeah. So we have this activation metric and it actually ties back to the Norser metric. So we define activation as the moment when the team has first collaboration. And it means that they have like five more, um, like X5 more conversion to paid and more probability that um, they will stay in the product. Um, and we have a dedicated team that is focused on activation growth and they constantly experimenting on this. So first session is super important. Um, and yeah, as more boards and sessions they have, they actually, the more sticky they become. Mm-hmm. And so does that team that focus on activation, are they uh, part of the product team or are they part of your team or? Um, it's how, part or, of my or team. both? <laughs> okay. Yep. Perfect. And then, um, and then, but, but they're just constantly, constantly experimenting to try to get people to that, that first collaboration. Yes, the all onboarding flows and like invitation flows are under their control. Mm-hmm. And then, so you talked about like virality being one of the one of the goals with the with the free version of the product. Um, when I when I think about uh, for B two B in particular, and I know you're B two C to B, but um, does are you are you looking at sort of virality within an organization and virality between organizations and sort of is it the same stuff that drives both or is there, there kind of different activities that drive referral from company to company versus inside a company? Yeah. Referrals uh, and viral loops are very important. I think like um, almost half of new users are coming from different types of invitation. 
it's very like natural for our products. So people share their boards with colleagues or with their clients. Actually, yeah. one of the personas that's using us a lot is this consultants and different agencies that mm. are working with other companies. So they're both like um, kind of a source of acquisition for us because sometimes one mm-hmm. freelancer work with big companies and like help help to onboard Miro in that companies by just working with them on their on their use case. So and are you are you able to track their kind of separate viral coefficient to where you would know if you can spend a lot more to acquire them? Yes, and we actually did it and that is why we even have a, a separate consultant plan that uh, like designed specifically for that persona and for their use cases and we have a I also have a team inside my team who is working to to create a value for for that for that use case. Do you find that, um, you know, like so obviously something like Slack, if, if a team sort of, if you get 50% adoption within a team, Slack's probably not going to stick in the company because you, you kind of need to standardize on one communication platform. But, but I'm assuming that you guys don't necessarily need that level of internal adoption to be able to stick in an organization with that. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, that's true. So some like it's often starts with one team that started to use it internally for different like their routines and their projects. And uh, sometimes we even like see that there are separate teams from one company and they don't even know that they are like both using Miro. Uh, so it's pretty like you don't have to we don't have to have like a big adoption within the companies to stay at the company because it could be locally used by different teams. Yeah, it's, re- it's really just one one person who's holding meetings using it is probably, if they love it, It's I, I assume it's it's going to stick. Is that a good assumption? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. But obviously then, then the cool part is that you have all that expansion opportunity if you can if you can have a, a good motion that gets the people who attend their meetings to also then start to, to use it for meetings, then it, it may not be an overnight spreading across a company, but um, o- over time, I'm sure a big part of your overall growth yeah, kind yeah, of vector yeah. is, is that internal expansion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So one of our engagement strategies is actually to help these every new invitee people to create their own board and invite their team, like, is uh, how we expand within the organization through this like cross-functional use cases. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that I mean that that's driving the internal expansion, and then the external expansion sounds like the the consultant to client loop is a is a pretty cool loop to have. In addition, and and consultants tend to be pretty visual in their explanation, so they're they're probably pretty tight in the target that you described. Yes, and they love uh, the framework, so they actually are very like some of them are very good thought leaders, and we can learn from them as well. That's awesome. So I could ask you a ton of questions and keep going with you, but uh, to to respect your time and and everyone listening, um, I wanted to end with just uh, when you when you kind of look at the last few years. Um, I, as I said, you you've been there for six years, but just in the last couple of years, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand even a couple of years ago? What a great question. Um, so. I think like two years, three years back when I wasn't an individual contributor and like the overall team was small, I didn't think that the process is the king. (laughs) Right now it helps a lot just to increase the transparency, visibility, clarity and velocity and hence the outcomes. Mm -hmm. 
Another thing is that growth is not about optimization the numbers and why is way more important than what. So you have to understand user behavior, motivation, and psychology. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. another major learning actually is that um, to keep company grow, um, you need to grow personally. So personal growth is always the biggest channel and you need to learn how to build a team, set up processes, have a broader view and vision, setting up ambitious but achievable goals, create innovative solutions, mm-hmm. et cetera. So and I'm, I'm lucky to have a strong team inside the company. And I also worked with leadership coach and Sharali uh, Karimov and growth advisor Ilyana Verna to grow and learn from them. Oh, of course, she's awesome. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Growth is never done uh, and I, I like this process. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think that um, all of the things that your company is doing to support that cross-functional collaboration and, and the culture that's built around the mission and the shared goal of moving that North Star metric reduces a lot of the frustrations that um, can easily creep into a head of growth role if you don't have the right uh, kind of broader aligned team that's all believing in what you're trying to accomplish. So um, that... Hopefully that that's making your life not miserable like some some <laughs> heads of growth that I've spoken to. Um, <laughs> so some of the key takeaways that I have from from this conversation, um, you know, I, I think you know one of the things that really jumped out at me at the beginning as as uh, you were talking about some of the key drivers. Um, being really clearly focused on who your target customer is about those distributed teams and and part of that product market fit is having the expansion of distributed teams being something that uh, is happening more and more. And I mean, you guys are feeding that as well. It, when, when the right tools exist, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to be a distributed team. And so, and then further refining that targeting down to knowing that um, visual people are the ones who are going to really get this and obviously trying to figure out how do we appeal to the less visual people. But I think just being, being clear about who do you already click with um, immediately. And then you also talked about the, the, solving a real problem and having an intuitive, uh, elegant solution to, uh, to um, address that problem. And then, you know, on top of that, so that's going to help to drive those uh, retention cohorts. And if you can't retain, you, you really can't grow in the long run. And then, but on top of those retention cohorts, being able to have the strong internal referral loops and external referral loops, the internal referral loops of just, you don't need, Massive adoption, so you don't have to crack that that huge challenge of how do I get everybody on this. But you can you can get one person loving it and using it, and and probably get that to stick. And then the understanding that external loop and how consultants feed and and grow into additional companies. So when I look at all of those parts together, it's it's not a big surprise that you have done really well with with Miro and that you have uh, top venture capitalists backing you guys. And so um, congrats on all the success and excited to see where you take it from here. Hey, me too. Thanks for for a lot. So it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll, we'll thank you again for, for sharing everything that you're doing and to everybody listening. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. listening to the breakout growth podcast please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and while you're at it subscribe so you never miss a show until next week